Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. We're not studying an old antiquated book, but again, the living, breathing word of God. And we pray, Lord, tonight that every heart would be soft and ready to receive what your spirit would minister to us tonight. I pray, Lord, that none of the words would be the words of men, but Lord, it would be your word and be your heart. So, Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you one or give you one if you, don't, if you like that one better or you just don't have one at home. You can absolutely take that as our gift. And I want to encourage you for Sunday, be, uh, read ahead, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I will be here on Sunday. Um, I will be leaving right after church, though, to head to India. And I really would cover your prayer. Um, it um, looks like I'm going to have a chance to teach between five and 600 missionaries over there, inductive Bible study. They go out and t- to plant churches, or the women go out to support churches that are there to teach children's ministry. And it's going to be a blessing to be able to give them the tools they need to go out, because they don't have commentaries, they don't have a lot of the stuff we have, just to be able to go out and be able to be prepared to teach the Word of God to, to people they come into contact with. So I, I'd appreciate your prayer, I'm looking forward to it. Alright, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now, Deuteronomy, as we've said before, Genesis was the picture of man falling, God creating man and man falling away, man choosing to sin. We then got to Exodus. We saw that man, that Israel, the children of Israel were in bondage because they had rebelled against God and God delivered them out of bondage. Exodus being a type of the world, He delivered them out of bondage. We got to Leviticus, which was a picture of the law being delivered and all the sacraments. And we saw clearly as we went through them that every one of the sacrifices pointed to Jesus Christ. We we then went to, to Numbers, and as we went through Numbers, we saw that that would be better titled In the Wilderness, as we saw the children of Israel now delivered out of bondage, having left Sinai, headed to the land of promise, and because of their disobedience, they missed out on God's highest. We come to Deuteronomy, and now this is the farewell letter from Moses to the children of Israel. He's been told he's not going to enter into the land of promise and he's not going to enter in because of his own disobedience. We'll touch on that in the text tonight. But he's not going to enter in, but yet he leaves this long farewell letter. This basically this entire book is one farewell sermon, if you will, from Moses to the children of Israel, preparing them to head into the land of promise. As we saw in the beginning, he talked about the rebellion that the, first gen- the previous generation had. He's telling this next generation that all their parents have died in the wilderness because of rebellion and disobedience, and he's restating them- to them the law. The word Deuteronomy means second law. It's the second giving of the law because it needed to be repeated to the next generation. We've talked about the fact that's an example for us that we are called by God to deliver His Word to the next generation as well. And so that's what Moses is doing. He's delivering the Word of God to the next generation. And as he's doing that, he first reminds them of the rebellion of that previous generation and how they missed out on God's highest. We then also saw him not only remind them of the previous rebellion, but also he reminded them of the fact that he himself would not be entering in and the reason why he would not enter in. And so we come to chapter 4, and chapter 4, I titled the message, and this should be a no-brainer, but at the same time we're going to see 15 reasons in tonight's text on why we should obey the Word of God. You know, one of the things I hear a lot when I go out and share my faith with people, they say, oh, it's the Bible, I don't care, you know, well, it's some book written by a bunch of men, oh, whatever, right? Why should we obey the Word of God? Well, for me, because God said so, that's enough. But at the same time, it's a blessing to see in this text tonight 
literally 15 different reasons why we should obey the Word of God. 15 different blessings that come from walking in obedience to the Lord. But here's the reality. One of the things that we struggle with most as human beings is giving up the throne of our own lives and willingly submitting to another. We want to make our own decisions, don't we? I want to be in charge. I want to be on the throne. After all, who could possibly know what's better for my life than me? We hate the word submit. You know, a lot of women, I'm getting ready to do their wedding, and they don't like the word obey in their vows. Can we take that out? Can we take, and I said, well, you, you can, but I'm not doing your wedding. Because here's the reality. That's God's heart, is that we would be submitted, amen? And our heart is, we don't want to submit. We want to be on the throne. And that's really what this text is about, is he's teaching them the heart of submission. He's teaching them that they need to submit to the Lord and to his word. Again, we struggle with submission and obedience even to God because we don't fully grasp his character. Why do people struggle submitting to God? Because they don't understand His grace. They don't understand His incredible love. They don't understand His holiness, His desire to bless us, His desire to conform us into His image. If we knew how much God loved us, we would never run from Him. We'd always run to Him. Amen? But so often what happens is that we think that God's a no-fun bummer God up in the sky with a lightning bolt waiting for us to make a mistake so He can smoke us. That's not the God of the Bible. Now, it is the God of some churches and it's the God of some religions, but it's not the God of the Bible. The true and living God who loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. It is his desire that none should perish, no, not one. You are his treasured possession. And so we should desire to submit to him when we understand who he is and how much we lo- he loves us. We somehow think we know better. We, we know better about what we need than God does. I know better. God, you know, well, that's Bible. That's great for other people. That's just not, you know, I, you know my, my circumstances are unique, Right? And I tell you, every, just about every counseling session I get into, somebody's got a unique situation. You know what? There's nothing unique. There's nothing new under the sun. God knows. We trust our own intellect. We trust our own power of reasoning, the desire of our own sin nature over the faithfulness and holy character of Almighty God. Can I tell you, if, if we truly believed that all the answers for life and hope and godliness, for everything we could possibly need is in this book, we'd read it more. Amen? We wouldn't be dusting it off on the way to, where's my Bible? It's Wednesday. Where did I put that thing, right? And the reality is it would be something that we hunger for. The Bible says we desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. And so we come to this text tonight and we're going to see that while we don't fully trust, God both knows what's best for us and, and what He wants for us and we can completely trust Him. And my prayer for us is that, Lord, give us faith to trust You completely in every aspect of life. Faith plus trust produces obedience. Obedience is faith in action. If you love me, you'll obey me, the Word of God says. It says to obey is better than sacrifice. And that's in 1 Samuel 15, 22. It's better to obey than just to offer up offerings. God doesn't want your offerings. God doesn't want, you know, you to somehow pretend to give Him something. He wants your heart. He wants your faith. He wants your trust. He wants you to say, Lord, I love you. You're my God. You're my King. You're my Savior. Where else am I going to go? Who else am I going to turn to? So as we come tonight to this chapter, we're going to see again that Moses is not, has not been allowed to enter in. He again is delivering this final message. And looking back, he, he's gonna, he already reminded them of their deliverance, of God's promises, the 40-year death march, how they defeated the giants in the land, just the faithfulness of the hand of God, and how some of them had settled for less. If you guys were here when we were in Numbers, you'll recall that two and a half tribes said, you know what, we've already defeated the foes over here. I don't want to have to go into Jordan. I don't, you know, 
I'm out of Egypt, that's good enough. And you know, this place looks pretty sweet right about here. Pull the lot, right? You know, Lot looked down and cast his eyes towards where? Sodom. Sodom. Not a good place, by the way. And he went there, why? Because it looked good in the flesh. And, and, and two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, were taken in by the beautiful, you know, lush greenery. Oh, it's a great place to raise cattle. We've got a lot of cattle. We don't have to go with God's highest. We don't need to be one of those radicals sold out for God people. You know, we can just kind of have a relationship with the Lord. Can I tell you, you'll never be at peace kind of serving God. Serving God halfway, part of the way, some of the time. God desires that we serve Him with our whole hearts. He's going to command them through Moses to heed, to listen, and to obey His word. And as they're about to enter in, Moses commands them to be obedient. Some ask, why should we obey God's word? Isn't it just an old book filled with stories and fables that are irrelevant to my life? In tonight's chapter, we're going to see 15 reasons and promises as to why we should listen to, heed, and obey the Word of God. So let's begin in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 4, in a message they titled, Why Should We Obey God's Word? Verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. Reason number one why we should obey God's words, if, word if you're a note taker, that we might possess all that God has for us. How many of you want, you know, we sing songs, and, and Pastor Don in San Jose used to say, we don't, Christians don't tell lies, we sing them, yeah. right? I surrender all, not really, right? It should be I surrender some, right, sometimes. And so what we do is that we don't really want God's eyes. We say we do, but we don't live like it. We're always holding back on God. We've always got our own agenda, our own plan. And the number one reason we should obey God's word is that if we do, we will experience God's highest for our life. When we're obedient, God is glorified, and we get blessed. It says heed or listen to God's word. The word there for statutes in verse 1 is laws concerning our worship and service to God, and judgments is our laws concerning your, your duty toward men. You know, it's interesting. The first four commandments of the ten relate to our relationship with God, and the next six commandments speak of our relationship to man. We talked about this on Sunday. The greatest of all the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest of all the commandments, and all the other commandments are wrapped up in that. And he says, I want you to heed or listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, because if you walk in obedience to the word of God, then you will possess the land. Then you will have all that God has for you. More than just hearing the word putting it into action. You know what, guys? You can come to church twice a week, three times a week, four times a week. You can study the Bible, and you can be a Bible scholar, and your walk with God can be dry as dust. We talked about this on Sunday. It's not just knowing the Word of God. It's knowing the God of the Word. Amen? It's having that intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. The reason we read this book is that we might get to know Him better and know His heart for us so that we can walk in obedience to Him. That we, and he says there that you may live. The word in Hebrew for here is to hear, or to pay attention, to understand, to obey. He says that you may live. God wants us to have life and life more abundant. God doesn't want us to just suffer along waiting for the rapture. Amen? God desires you have life and life more abundant. I believe that Christians ought to be, we absolutely should be, the most joyous, happy people on the planet. Amen? You know why? 
Because we understand what life's all about. You know what life is all about? It's about Jesus. Amen. Amen? That's the answer. Do you know the meaning of life? Yes, I do. Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what life's all about. And if you're trying to find it in your career, you're not going to ever have peace. If you're trying to find it in relationships, you're never going to have peace. If you try to find it in anything other than Him, you're going to always have a void in your life. And he says to them, you know what, pursue and observe all that God has for you. Listen to his commandments, and you know what, you'll possess the land. And then look at the next verse here. Remember, too, that they had an example, didn't they? They had an example of the previous generation. Did they obey the word of God or disobey it? They disobeyed it. How'd that work out? Not too good. You watched several, at least 600,000 plus, 20-year-old plus men dropping dead. Every day, people just dropping dead everywhere. So they knew you disobey God's word, it doesn't work out too good. And by the way, in your own life and my own life, I can look back and see where I rebelled against God and it never works out good. Amen? Yet we do it again. We disobey God, it doesn't work out, and then the next time, well, maybe it'll be different this time. Right? Maybe God just isn't paying attention right now. You know, maybe it'll all work out. No, he loves you enough to discipline you and to draw you back into right fellowship. Obedience and faithfulness, we experience God's highest. A a life that produces fruit. You know, it's interesting. It's an act of love toward God when we obey Him. And when we disobey Him, it's an act of saying, Lord, I don't care what you think. I want to be on the throne. I don't care that you died for me. It's all about me. Why should we obey God's word? Because obedience produces a blessing. We experience God's highest. We'll have a fruitful life. When we're disobedient, when we're disobedient, we end up wandering aimlessly and we have a life that is fruitless. I have Christians say to me all the time, Pastor Dave, you know what, my, my walk, I, I just, there's no fruit in my life. You know, I don't have any joy. I don't have any peace. I'm really, you know, I'm just struggling. You know what? You're not walking in obedience to the Lord. You know why? Because if you were, you'd have joy and you'd have peace and you'd have direction for your life. And it's when we want to do things our way in our time and we don't trust God that we struggle. And you know what? The fact that we're not having joy in the midst of disobedience is a good thing. Because it's God's way of bringing us where He wants us to be. So many living, dry, fruitless, aimless lives, yet unwilling to repent and obey God's Word. Look at verse 2. Underline this. If you underline your Bible, get your pen out and underline this verse. You shall not add to the Word which I command you, nor take away from it. Is that pretty clear? You shall not add to the word, nor take away from it. Do you know that, pro- that 90, 99.9% of all the cults that exist have disobeyed this verse and many others in the Bible that say we're not to add or, do- or take away from the word of God. We are not to add to God's word. Does God need my help? Does God need my instruction, your direction? No, he doesn't. And yet we want to add to the word or take away from it. I just don't like this verse right here. This kind of bugs me. I think I'm going to just... right. You know, well, I'm struggling with, you know, you know, the homosexual, just pull out Romans. You know, Paul was a bigot. Just, just take that. I don't want that. And you know what happens? That's what has to happen for some of the agendas that you see in the church is that people just take parts of the Bible and say, you know, I don't want that part. That's just someone's opinion. I don't need to follow. It's all inspired by God. 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, 1,500 years, one central theme, no contradictions. How is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen. And so every verse of it is not in there by chance. The same God who put all the stars in the sky exactly where they needed to be to make this planet work is the same God that put every letter and every dot and every comma in your Bible. Amen? And it's just as necessary that they all be there. 
He says, you shall not add or delete. We're not to make new laws of their own or join them to the law of God. By the way, there is not another testament to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? You've seen these commercials, these happy families, and call in and get another testament to Jesus Christ. You know, and you know, it's interesting because in Galatians it says, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we preached to you, let them be accursed. So if an angel from heaven or anybody else preaches another gospel to you, let them be accursed. How did the Mormon church start? An angel came and preached another gospel. The angel Moroni. I think if I moron, he just put the letter in the front, right? But the reality is that the angel came, and if Joseph Smith had just read his Bible, he wouldn't have been listening to, you know, and I think probably there was some, some kind of angel, because what has it done? It's drawn millions of people away, but it's not an angel from heaven. I believe it's demonic in nature, and what has it drawn? Drawn millions of people away from the truth, and it just breaks my heart. Why? Because they tried to add to God's word. Can I tell you that I could spend the rest of my life studying this right here, and this is enough? Amen? I'm not, I can study this day after day after day, and I'm never going to get to the point where I just got it all figured out. I need to stay in His Word and seek His Word. In Mark 7, Jesus told the Pharisees they had added to the commandments their own traditions and laws, and they had made the Word of God of no effect. And again, I'm naming names tonight. You're the Wednesday night crowd. You should hear it, right? The Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church, the Methodist, all these different churches, you know what they do? They say the Bible isn't enough, Jesus Christ isn't enough, it's Jesus Christ plus First Communion, plus your Holy Confession, plus Holy Communion, First Communion, whatever, right? All those things you need to do, you must be baptized in our church, you must have your last rites, you must have, and it's Jesus plus this, 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 and it's the same thing that Jesus said to the Pharisees, you've added to God's Word. This is sufficient for salvation, Amen. You don't have to join any organization. You don't have to have 12 more steps. It is finished, Jesus said when he died on the cross to Talisai. Amen? And he said, don't add to the word. And when you do, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, all you've done is you've made the word of God no, of no effect. May we base our walk on the word of God, not the traditions of men. I know people that will say to me, I love going there because they have such great traditions. You know what? We need more of the word and less traditions. Amen? Amen? Too many traditions. Traditions, where do they come from? You know, if you look back and find out where some of the traditions came from, you'd say, what in the world? Why are we doing this? But we do it because, well, we've always done it, right? Show me a verse, amen? Let's get the Bible out and show me something in God's Word, and let's base the authority on that. So number one, we see the reason that we obey God's Word, and we should obey God's Word, is that if we do, we'll possess the land and we'll experience all that God has for us. Number two reason we should obey God's word is because it's perfect and it's complete. All the answers you need for life are in the book in your hand. All of them. Wait a minute, don't I need to go to this? No, you don't. Now, you can get counsel from other godly people who use God's word as the authority, but you need to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen? God's word is sufficient. Man, people say, well, I can't believe that you believe that. Yeah, we need Freud's help right? Where's Freud right now? He's burning in hell. So we need an atheist who's burning in hell's help to understand how to live the Christian life. You think that's accurate? No, we don't need to add to the Bible. We don't need any other books. 
Read, as you've heard me say, read the book, don't wait for the movie. God's word is sufficient. Look at verse 3. Then he says, Your eyes have seen what the Lord God did in Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. Now what happened? He told them that don't add to the word that you might keep the commandment of the Lord. And then he says, you've seen with your own eyes what happens when people fall away and start following something other than the word of God. This is a reference to Numbers 25. You guys remember the story? Remember Balaam, right? The guy that had the talking donkey and still didn't turn around. I mean, that blows my mind. Donkeys start talking, I'm listening, right? But he didn't. And instead what he did is he went up and because the potential prize was so high, he convinced Balak, look, we can't get them to turn away from their God, and God won't let me curse them. So here's what we're going to do. Let's send some women in there, and then the women can prostitute themselves with them and draw them away into idol worship. If we can't get them through cursing them, we'll get them through friendships with the world. Maybe that's a word for you tonight, okay? Can't get them through cursing them, but I'll get them through having friendships with the world that will draw them away from the true and living God. And so the women went down in there, and we know what happened, that at least 24,000 men went for it. One man even came, brought Zimri, brought a woman back with him into the camp. And remember Phineas, what did he do? He threw a spear through them, right? They got the point. Right? I mean, he threw it right through them. And he pinned them to the wall. Why? Because God does not desire that we would allow sin to run rampant in our homes or in our, you know, in our church. And so they were pinned to the wall. And he said, you guys remember what happened? What happened? They got away from the word of God and they started following after the, the things of men and the traditions of men. And it didn't work out too good. And 24,000 people died in a plague. And he's reminding them. This is, a, 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 again, the second law. Women were sent into the camp and these guys were drawn away. They didn't heed the word of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Verse 4. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Again, if you underline verses in your Bible, that's a great verse. What does it say there? If you held fast to the Lord your God, you are alive today, every one of you. Obedience. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. When we walk in obedience to the Lord, our life is fruitful. And there's a peace in the midst of, of turmoil. It doesn't matter what's going on around us because we know who's in control. Life in those who held fast to the word of God and death to those who did not heed the word of God. What should lead and guide and direct our every decision, guys? God's word. You're praying about what to do next with your life? Open God's word. Lord, show me your heart. Lord, show me your will. You know, I don't like to make major decisions without a verse. I love to hear what people have to say. I love to get godly counsel. The Bible says there's wisdom in the counsel of many people who love the Lord. But I love it when God just gives me clear direction from his word. Because his word doesn't change. People can be wrong, but the Bible never is. Amen? And so, again, seek out and, and spend time in his word. Why should we obey God's word? The third thing is it does is, that it does is it keeps us from temptation and destruction. When those women came in because they got their eyes off of God and they got their eyes off of the word, they were tempted and they ended up dying and losing their lives. Again, God's word is the foundation for a solid walk with the Lord. Verse 5. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. They were to take the word of God with them into the land of promise. They were to, to walk in obedience to God's word that would bring them into the land, and there they were to continue to stay faithful in God's word. We're never going to grow to the point 
that we're no longer dependent on the Word of God. Not until we get to heaven. Amen? You know, I had a, a guy I was talking to not long ago who told me, well, I've been a Christian 35 years, and I just don't, you know, I don't need to go to church anymore. And, you know, I've read the Bible. This is not a novel. We're not reading Moby Dick. Amen? This is a Bible. And this is a love letter from God to us. And you know what? You can read it every day for 10 hours a day until the Lord comes back and you still can read the same chapter yet again and God will speak to you afresh. Amen? Because it is living and breathing. And they say, when you go into the land of promise, don't think you've arrived. All right, we're in the land of promise. Sweet. This is the destination. This is what I've been waiting for. You know, I I stayed in the Word till I got the wife I've been asking for. Now I don't need it, right? You know, I stayed in the Word till I finally got that job. Now I got some coin in the bank. Don't need to be trusting in the Bible anymore. And sometimes we can do that. We can get so focused on the world that we take our eyes off of Almighty God and take our eyes out of His Word and quit. Again, the Bible says we desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. Verse 6. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for it is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all people who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this nation is a wise and understanding people. You know what else God's Word does? God's Word is the source of of true wisdom. Do you know that if you simply share the word of God with people, you are giving them the wisest counsel they could ever get? I don't care how many degrees somebody has after their name. I don't care how intelligent they are. The greatest counsel you can give somebody is the truth of God's word. And he's saying, and what he says here in this text, that people around you, they're going to say, surely this is a great nation, a wise nation, a nation of understanding people. They will simply do what? Hold fast to God's word. God desires that we would obey his word because it is the true source of wisdom. In the midst of a perverse and wicked generation, we need to hold fast to the word of God. You guys, you know, if you've been coming here more than once, you know my heart. It grieves me to see the way the word of God is being watered down in the church today. It just breaks my heart. One of my prayers, this is the number one place I'm called to is Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz means Holy Cross, and I have such a burden for this place. And I'll tell you, I pray for the pastors in town, and I'm trying to go to more stuff. With pa- Not that I've got all the answers. I don't. I'm sure there's many things they could share with me. But you know what? My heart is to say, guys, let's just teach the Bible. Churches all over this town are falling apart. Churches all over this town are losing their pastors. Churches all over this town don't even have a pastor right now, many of them. And the churches are shrinking down. I'm talking to pastors on the phone, and their churches have gone from 200 people down to 12. And they're still unwilling just to teach the Bible. They say, well, we can't do that. Nobody will come. We just teach the Bible. Nobody will come. And again, God is so clearly telling us it's the source of all wisdom. God's word is sufficient. We don't need the opinions of men. We need the words of God. Verse 7. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and righteous judgment as are in, are in all this law which is set before you this day? For what great nation is there that God is so near to it? Doesn't it bless you that God is near to you? Amen. He's not far away. You've heard me show this illustration. I was in Russia. I, I had been blessed to go there seven times. And one of the trips was, in, I believe, like 1992. And I was in a little town called Stupina. And we were out, we were the first Americans who had ever been there, and we're out in this little town a couple hours outside of Moscow, and we're handing out tracts and Bibles on the street, and this Greek, Russian Orthodox priest came and wanted to shut us down from handing out Bibles. And he said, the pro- he started talking, he said, the problem with you Christians 
is you don't understand that God is so huge and so, so great that, it, that we're just a speck of dust and, and you know, he, he doesn't even have time for us. You act like God is like real near to you. And I had this woman who was an interpreter who was more than 80 years old who said to him, Sir, do you read the Bible? And I love that. I thought, oh, praise the Lord, here it comes, right? So this woman, 80 years old, says, do you read the Bible? And he says, yes, I do. He says, in the Bible, what is one of the many names of God? One of his names is Abba Father. And Abba Father means Daddy. And Daddy is never far away. Amen? Daddy is the one you can crawl up into his lap and always be near to him. And it's so sad that people think that God is far away. He said, what a great nation there is that God is so near to you. That, Lord God, that you can call upon him anywhere and any time. Doesn't it blow you away that you can pray driving down the freeway? You can pray and ask God, and he's always with you. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. In the midst of difficulty, God's with you. And you plus God is a majority, and you have nothing to fear. Amen? And praise God, there's a peace and a joy that comes from that. And so he's encouraging them. Why should we obey God's word? Because it produces a testimony to those who are around us. They're saying, what great nation is this that God is near to them? You know, if we're spending time in His Word and walking in obedience to it, people are going to say, who is the God that this person serves that they have joy in the midst of the most incredible circumstances? How can they have peace when they just lost their job and everybody else wants to jump out of a window? How can they have joy when they've just been diagnosed with cancer? How can they have peace in the midst of difficulty in their marriage? I don't understand. Their God must be awesome. This God they serve must be real. You know, He seems so near to them. Verse 9, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. You know what? Lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. Obedience to God's Word and keeping it at the forefront of our minds and hearts serves as a constant reminder of all that God has done for us. You know one of the reasons I love worship so much? I love worship because so much of what we're singing is what He's done for us. And it's a reminder of who our God is. He's great. He's holy. He's awesome. He's righteous. And you know what? We will soon be with Him. And we will worship Him forevermore. And doesn't that put perspective, perspective to all your problems? Doesn't that just really shine a new light on the difficulty you're going, on, going through right now to realize when this time has come and passed, only what I've done for Christ will last. Nothing else is going to matter anyway. And I'm going to be in His presence forevermore. And praise God. And so he's encouraging them that it produces a great testimony around them, but also keeps us from falling away. You know what's been said? That sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. The more time you spend in God's Word, the more time you hunger for Him, the more you desire to walk with Him, the greater passion you have for Him, and you know what? The stronger your walk will be. Watch out that you don't become so familiar with the law that you forget that it's no longer a priority, that it's no longer a passion. God intended that Israel would be a witness, and our lives should be radically different. The way we live, the way we treat others, the way we raise our kids, the way we view what's important in life, where our passion is, ought to be totally different than the world. And again, it's too often the church is saying, we need to be more like the world so we'll fit in. No, we don't. We need to be less like the world, amen? We need to be in the world, but not of it. We have the Holy Spirit. We have His Word. We're His children. And you know what? We know where we're headed, and it should bring peace. Our light is to draw others to Christ. Other uh, unbelievers came to Jesus not because He was just like them, but because He was different. And you know who we are? We're His followers, and we're to reflect Him. Second half of verse 9. 
says there, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. So lest you depart from the heart of your, your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, that's another name for Mount Sinai, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. Don't forget what the word says. Not only know it, but teach it to your children. The number one and most important ministry I have as a parent is to raise my kids to know Jesus Christ. The number one thing that you're called to do is to raise your kids in a godly home. If you're not married yet, that will be your first calling. Be so familiar with God's works and words that you may pass them on to the next generation. You know what's interesting? When they came to Jesus, remember what happened? They came to Jesus and they said, your, your mother and your brother are here and they want to see you. You remember this? And Jesus said, who is my mother or who is my brother? Those who, what? Those who do the will of the Father. Those who know God. Those who follow God, right? Jesus' disciples were his family, and our family are our disciples. Our family is where we begin to disciple others. It begins in our own home. Godly kids, godly grandkids, a fruitful ministry. Why should we obey God's word? Because God's word is is the source we need to raise our kids to know the true and living God. Look at verses 11 through 14. This is incredible right here. Then, they, then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire in the midst of heaven, with darkness and cloud and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, and you heard the sound of His words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So He declared to you His covenant, which He commanded to you to perform the Ten Commandments. He wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and judgments that you may observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. He wrote them in stone, which means they're non-negotiable. It's the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. Amen? And He taught them that they might observe them and obey them as they would move forward. And Moses reminded the people of the nation's awesome experience at Sinai when God made this covenant with them. Imagine this mountain blazing with fire and thunder and lightning came down and frightened the people. After a trumpet blast grew louder and louder, God called Moses to the top of the mountain and the people heard God speak, but they didn't see any form of Him. I believe there's a clear reason why. You know why we didn't, they didn't see a form? Because God did not want them to worship an image. They wanted them to heed His Word. They heard His Word, they saw no image. Why? Because He wanted them to listen to their Word, not follow an image. And sadly, again, you see so many places with statues of saints. and We don't follow images, we heed His Word. Amen? Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The people heard God speak, but they didn't see His form. And the Lord, again, was making it clear. Hearing God speak, but seeing no form. And again... He didn't want them to copy in any way and to worship something they might see. He delivered the Ten Commandments and instilled holy fear within all the people. Let me read the Exodus account of this real quick. This is incredible. Let me read it to you. It's in verse 18 through 21 of Exodus 20. Don't turn there. I'll read it. Now all the people witnessed the thundering, the lightning, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Don't let God, you know what? Don't, don't have him speak to us anymore. We're going to die if he even tries to talk. We can't even hear his voice. We're not worthy. You know what? The fear of God is what? The beginning of what? Wisdom. 
And you know what? One of the major problems in the world today is there's no fear of God. Did they have fear of God here? Don't even, here they didn't, whoa. Don't even let him talk. Because when he talks, man, that scares us. Do you know that God is going to be way more awesome than we think when we get to heaven? No matter how awesome you think, it's going to be, it's going to blow our mind. You know, we're going to go, whoa, right? And no matter how great you think he is, he's greater than that. No matter how holy, he's holier than that. No matter how powerful, he's more powerful than that. And it's going to blow our mind when we get to heaven how great our God is. And you know what? I think we need to have some awe and some fear, some holy fear of a great and an awesome God. And again, these people, they said, don't even let him come down here. Why should we obey God's word? Because it instills a holy fear. The fear of God, almost non-existent in the world today. You know what? Again, we talked about liberty and legalism on Sunday, so I don't want to be legalistic. But can I tell you something? There's a thing called screenit.com, and I go on there, and if they curse my Savior one time in a movie, I don't care if it's rated G, I'm not going. I'm not going. How can I take God's money and sit and listen to them curse my God? It just grips my heart. Now again, if you, you, you know, if you don't feel convicted about that, that's between you and the Lord. Can I tell you that there's no fear of God in Hollywood? Amen? They use our Savior's name as a curse word. And as Christians, there could be, you know, we need to stand and say, you know what, I'm not going to be entertained by them cursing my Savior. It just breaks my heart. And there's no fear of God. Verse 15 through 19. Take careful heed to yourselves. For you saw no form when you, the Lord spoke to you at Mount Orab out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make yourselves a card, carved image in the form of any figure, in the likeness of a male or a female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. Verse 19, And take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. Do people worship creation today? People come way more, some people care way more about trees than they do God. Some people care way more about whales than they do babies. And you know what? What is astrology all about? This verse speaks of it. Don't worship the stars. Don't worship the sun. Don't worship the moon. Our God put them there by speaking a word. Why would you serve the thing and follow the thing that God put there with one word when you can follow the one who put them there? Amen? Don't serve the creation. Serve the creator. Worshiping him and him alone. God, get, You know what happened when they started worshiping? It's interesting. When they started worshiping the creation rather than the creator, it says that God gave them over to their vile passions. And you know what happened? They became rampant in sexual immorality and homosexuality. Isn't that interesting? That environmentalism and homosexuality ran hand in hand all the way back in 2,000 years ago. And you know what? It's still true today. It's so true. And I'm not saying if you're an environmentalist, you, you know, you got, you're sexually immoral. I'm not saying that. But let me say this. The environment better not be anywhere near as important to you as God is. Amen? Because this is passing away. And we should be good stewards of the earth, but why should we obey God's word? Because it will keep us from idol worship. That's number 9, verse 20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be His people and inheritance as you are this day. God delivered them, and Moses had just mentioned all the nations, so He reminded the people that Israel was to be different because they were God's 
chosen people, separate from the world, not conformed to it. Again, a good lesson for the church. God, God's word reminds us that we have been delivered. We're a holy people. Holy not because of our, our goodness, but because of his greatness. Verse 21. Furthermore, the Lord has, was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan, that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan, but you shall cross over and possess that good land. Didn't he just talk about this last chapter? He's talking about it again. He's a little bitter, right? I mean, here's the thing. He's marching with three million whiners. We talked about this last week. He's marching with three million whiners to the wilderness. He says, I made one mistake. They've been whining for 40 years. And I just put up with it. I make one mistake and I don't get to go, right? I'm taking my staff and I'm going home. No, he didn't do that. What did he do? He passed it over to Joshua and he was a godly man. And he encouraged Joshua. And what a great example for us. But he reminds them of the fact that disobedience has consequences. That's what he's doing. He's saying, guys, I missed it because I disobeyed God. What did he do? He misrepresented the Lord to the people. He portrayed God as being angry. So number 10, on reasons why we should obey the word of God, that we might not lose out on our inheritance. Again, we might not lose out on all that God has for us. Verse 23 and 24. Take heed to yourselves. You know what he says that 10 times in this chapter, by the way. Take heed to yourselves. Listen. Listen up. Hey, guys, listen up. Take heed to yourselves. Obey what I'm about to tell you. Lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. What was one of the main problems that the children of Israel had in the wilderness? What were, their idol worship. I mean, they just got out of Egypt. The Red Sea's been parted. Moses goes up for 40 days and he comes down and they're dancing around a golden calf. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They constantly struggled. That's why every time they came into contact with an idol-worshiping nation, what did God tell them to do? Destroy every man, woman, and child. Why? Because he knew, if I leave any of those people with you, you'll be idol worshipers before nightfall, you know? If I just leave these guys there, you're going to just follow after them so quickly. You know, it's funny because you meet people. It's not funny, it's sad. You meet people, you put them in a room with a thousand people, and if there's two people there that are up to no good, they'll find them in five minutes, right? That's kind of like the children of Israel. You know, Almighty God's right there, the pillar of fire, the cloud, right in front of them all day, the Shekinah glory, and what do they do? Oh, there's an idol over there. Hey, that guy knows how to make them. Let's go over there. I mean, it's true. And he says, just wipe them out because you can't even have them around. You know what, guys? We don't need them around us either, amen? We don't need the idols and the things that will take our eyes off of God. And God loves Israel, but he will not tolerate losing their loyalty to another or allow worship that's due only to him. It says there that he is a jealous God a consuming fire. He destroys all that oppose him, especially those who fall into idol worship. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What's the second commandment? Thou shalt serve no graven image. It's number one and number two. It's the first two on the list, right? It's right there. And what are they falling more often than anything? Those two things. And his heart was, don't fall into that trap. Verse 25. When you beget children and grandchildren, have grown old in the land, and act corruptly, and make a carved image in the form of anything, and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke Him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day 
that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over, when you cro- which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. What happened to the Jewish nation? This describes it perfectly. This is prophecy, isn't it? He says what's going to happen. You're going to get your eyes off of God, and God, they're going to be scattered, and they're going to be diminished. And that's exactly what happened to the Jewish nation. Why did it happen? Because they turned their eyes off the true and living God. They started worshiping idols. You know what's interesting? That you look when there's revival in the Old Testament, virtually every time they rediscover something that brings revival. What is it? The Word of God. God. That means they lost it for a while. They lost it. And can I tell you, I have a burden as a pastor that I think in the United States we're losing it. We are, we're losing it. And may we be those who point people back to the Word. It's God's Word. It's the answer. It's the place where we can find hope. A.D. 70, they were removed from their land. You've got to remember, too, I told you last week that they never inhabited the land God had for them. Not all of it. They just got a little bit of it. And the same can happen to us. And they were left few in number. And there's been constant... Now, I want to make this really clear. I don't want this to come out wrong, okay? Does God love the Jewish people? Absolutely. Are they still His children? Yes. Are they in rebellion to Him right now? Yes, they are. And you know what? All the atrocities they've gone through are a result of disobedience, but that does not mean that we are anti-Semitic in any way. Amen? We need to reach out to those people, love them, provoke them to jealousy. Some of you in here might be Jewish. Here's the thing. God loves you the same as He loves me, and God has a plan for your life, and God desires that you walk with Him. But the difficulty of the Jewish nation came because they continued to rebel against God. And this is fulfillment of prophecy. But we know that they've been scattered, and they're still scattered today. Now, they're, they're, again, they've been drawn back as a nation, but they're still in rebellion. You got, those of you who went to Israel with us, Last March, we're going in again, March 2006. Pray about coming with us. You see the Jewish people that are there, and they're, they're still waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah's already been here. And when he comes next time, it's not going to be what they think. And so the reality is that they're, they've missed out, and they're still in rebellion, and God is still reaching out to them. And after a time of rebellion, the Jews will again seek the Lord. Look at verse 28. And there you will serve gods and the work of man's hands and wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart, with all your soul. Now when are they going to find Him? I want you to see this. Look at verse 30. When are they going to find God? When you are in what? Distress. Some of your Bibles have another word. What is it? Tribulation. Guess when the Jews are going to find God again? During the great what? Tribulation. After a time of rebellion, they're going to seek the Lord once again, but not before they grow th- go through distress, a time of what is called Jacob's trouble. It's a seven-year period between the time that the church is raptured and Jesus comes back for the second coming. And during that seven-year period, the church will be snatched away and will be pulled out, and we won't be here anymore. And it's during that time that there will be 144,000 Jewish evangelists, along with two witnesses, whose eyes, and their eyes will be opened. And Romans 11 says that all of Israel shall be saved. But guess what's going to have to happen before it happens? Not until they've endured a time of trouble like never seen on this earth. If you look in the Bible, the seal trumpets, the, uh, the seal judgments, the trumpets, and the bowl judgments. 
There's going to be earthquakes and thunderings. Then a third of the trees and grass will be burned up. A third of the seas will turn to blood. A third of fresh water will become bitter. A third of the sun and the moon and the stars will be darkened. Locusts will come out of a bottomless pent and begin to sting and torment men, yet they will not be able to die. The stinging and torment will go on for five months, but they won't die. A third of all mankind will be killed by plagues of fire, smoke, and brimstone. The rest of mankind who did not die during the plagues will not repent. They will continue in their idol worship, their drug use, and their immorality. And then the bold judgments will come. When they come, all of mankind who has taken the mark of the beast will be covered head to toe with sores. The sea will turn to blood. The water will turn to blood. They will be scorched with great heat. There will be darkness and pain. Sores, thirst, heat, darkness, pain. What does that sound like? Sounds like hell. And it's literally going to be hell on earth. And it's during that time, they will still not repent. Then Satan, the Antichrist, and the demons will be let loose, and the greatest earthquake in all of history will take place, and all the mountains on the planet will be flat when it's over. How big do you think that earthquake's going to be? I mean, when Mount Everest is on the ground, that's a big earthquake. Then there's going to be 60-pound hailstones falling out of the sky. Why is there another reason we should obey God's word? Because we do not want to face God's righteous judgment. Amen? How many want to be here during the tribulation? If you're post-trib, I'll pray for you, okay? I won't be here. You know, God bless you, but I'm going home, right? Amen? When the rapture comes, I'm out of here. And the reality is that God has not appointed us to wrath. Amen? He's appointed us to peace. And he, we're his children. He's not going to leave us in the midst of that. But so sad that because they would not heed God's word, they will face God's righteous judgment. I know it's a heavy word tonight. A lot in this chapter. We're almost done. Verse 31. For the, the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. The reason Israel has not been consumed is because God is merciful. The reason that you and I have not been consumed is because God is merciful. I don't want what I deserve. How about you? No thanks. I'm not into the deserve program, right? I, I don't deserve that. Really? Would you like what you deserve? I don't think you want that. I want mercy. I want grace and mercy and peace, not what I deserve. No thanks, right? And so we see here, we do not want to face his judgment. And again, the reason Israel had not been consumed, God is merciful. Verse 32 through 34. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which are before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one of the heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything, or if anything like it has been hard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and lived? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by his mighty hand and outstretched arm, and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? God had done so many great and awesome things before their eyes, and he wanted them to never forget what he had done for them. He had brought the plagues on Egypt. He had parted the Red Sea. He would spoke to them at Sinai. He brought manna from the sky. He brought water from the rock. He brought the pillar of cloud and fire. He wiped out every enemy that went before them. You might say, how does that apply to me? What did Jesus do for you? Don't ever forget it. Amen? Don't ever let the cross grow common. If you want to know how valuable you are, you, the value of something is determined by what somebody's willing to pay for it. How valuable are you to God? This is how valuable you are to God. Amen?
Don't ever take that lightly. Don't ever take that for granted. Don't forget what you've been delivered from. Don't forget you're a new creation in Christ. Amen? God wants to do great and awesome things in and through your life. Verse 35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord Himself is God. There is none other besides Him. How many gods are there? There's one. Amen? There is a God and you're not Him and there's only one. Amen? And again, what do cults do? They make God less than He is and they make man more than He is. Every cult makes man more and makes God less. The God of the Mormon church used to be a man on a planet who lived a good life and now He's our God. Did you know that? And all men who serve God will be God of their own planet one day. That's what the cults do. I will never ever be God and neither will you. And aren't you glad? Amen? I'm glad, I'm, not a, I'm glad I don't serve a God that I'm going to someday be like. That's not good, right? I'm glad that our God is so awesome I can't even begin to fathom how great He is. Amen? That's the God that we serve. Proving to them that He alone is God and there is no other. Revealed both in His awesome power and His great love for them. Why should we obey God's Word? Number 12, because He alone is God and there is no other. We're just going to go down to verse 43. Let's read on verse 36. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. He brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power, driving out from before your nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance, as it is to this day. Therefore know this day, and consider it in your heart, that the Lord Himself is God in heaven above and on earth beneath, and there is no other. You shall therefore keep His statutes and His commandments, which I command you today, that your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. He revealed His great power to Israel. Again, they heard His voice. He defeated their enemy. He loved them. He had proven who He is by what He had done. And he said, know this day. And you know what that, if you look in the original language, it means rediscover every day the greatness of God. Can I encourage you? Read your Bible and pray every day. Does that sound like a major task? We manage to click on the TV every day. And we manage to open up that fridge a bunch of times every day. Amen? And the Bible says we're to desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. But yet, I can eat, and 15 minutes later, I'm like, maybe I'm just bored. I don't know, but what's in here, right? And the reality is, man, we should be that way with God's Word. And it will be a constant reminder to us of His greatness. Know this day. Don't say what God was in your life 10 years ago. What's your relationship like with God today? How close are you to Him right now? How intimate is your relationship with Him? Study His Word. Walk in obedience to Him that it may go well with you and your children after you. Why should you obey God's Word? Because He loves us, He's been faithful to us, and His Word is perfect. Number 14, God's Word protects us, it prolongs our days, and it directs our lives. Last three verses. I want you to see this. Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of Jordan toward the rising of the sun, that the manslaughter might, be, might flee there, who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in time past, and that by fleeing to one of those cities, he might live. Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau of the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead of the Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the, the Manassites. Now, if you guys were here when we were in Numbers, the cities of refuge point to whom? Jesus. Jesus. What were they? 
They were cities where, in those days, they didn't have police. So if you accidentally, or if you on purpose committed a crime, guess who brought out the judgment? The family member of the person that you harmed. If you're out chopping down trees with a buddy, and your axe handle breaks, and the axe head flies across and hits your buddy in the chest, and he falls over and he dies, if you cannot prove it was an accident, then the avenger from that family will come to kill you. Now there's only one thing you could do when you were guilty like that, and there was only one place you could run, and it was to one of these three, quotes. there were six in total, but the three on this side of the Jordan, cities of refuge. And when you ran to the city of refuge, as soon as you entered in, you were safe. And the avenger could not touch you. You were at peace. Now, you stayed in that city, and as long as you stayed in that city, you were safe. When were you finally able to leave that city and be safe? When the high priest died. When the high priest died, now you could leave the city of refuge and go wherever you want, and no longer could the avenger touch you. The Bible says Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But you know what? Jesus is our refuge. And he is the great high priest. And when he died on the cross, our sin was paid for, and no longer can the avenger touch us. Amen? Jesus is our refuge, it says in Hebrews 6.18. And you know what I loved about these cities? Every city was placed... In a, in a way that you did not have to go over a mountain or, or, over, or through a river to get to any one of them. They were always nearby. And what I love about that is it tells me that for me to come to know Christ, it doesn't mean I have to climb up a 50-story you know, a tall mountain. I don't have to swim across a raging river. He's nearby. And I can come to him. And you know what? That's important when an avenger is chasing you with an axe, right? Nearby is good, right? You're thinking nearby, yeah, nearby, right? And the Bible says in Romans 10, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. It's not a bunch of your great works that somehow make you acceptable to God. He paid the price. And you simply come and say, I'm a sinner. Will you be my Savior? And He will be your refuge. He's our refuge. He's our great high priest. He's within reach of all those who are in need. He's the only hope for those who are in jeopardy. He's the only way we can go outside and, and without being put to death. The death of the high priest brings complete freedom. So too did Jesus' death on the cross. So number 15, on reasons why we should obey God's word, because it is the place where we find our refuge. So 15 things. Why should we obey God's word? Number one, that we might possess all God has for us. Number two, because it's perfect and complete. Number three, it keeps us from temptation and destruction. Number four, it is the source of true wisdom. Number five, it produces a great testimony to those around us. Number six, it keeps us from falling away. Number seven, it's the source for teaching of our children. Number eight, it installs within us holy fear. Number nine, it keeps us from idol worship. Number 10, that we might not lose our inheritance. Number 11, so as not to face God's righteous judgment. Number 12, because He alone is God. Number 13, because He loves us and is faithful to us. Number 14, because God's Word protects us and prolongs our days. And number 15, because it's the place where we find our refuge. Can we spend enough time in God's Word? Amen? What a great book. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. 
And we thank you again that it is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. Father, I pray for each person who's here tonight, Lord, that, Father, if they're going through difficulty and struggles, that, Lord, this would be a time that they would realize that you are nearby. And they would not run from you, but they would turn to you. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know what it means to be forgiven for their sin, that doesn't know what it means to simply ask you to be their Savior, I pray, Lord, that right now you'd open their heart to their need for you. We thank you, Lord, that it's as simple as confessing our sin. Lord, then there's a repentance, that it's repentance. It's turning away from the person we used to be and coming to you. Lord, I pray if there's even one person here tonight, they would not leave here without you. So with every head bowed just quickly, I hadn't planned on doing this. If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to join an organization. All I'm saying is you just say, you know what, I want to confess my sin. The Bible says you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. You deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. And if you simply acknowledge your sin, we're all sinners, every one of us, you acknowledge your sin and say, I want Jesus to be my Savior, and you're willing to simply ask Him to come into your life, just like all the things we talked about tonight, you can leave here tonight knowing that you're going to heaven, that you're born again, that you're a new creation in Christ, You've been adopted into his family, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. So if you're here tonight and that's your heart, and you want to say, you know what, I want to know for sure that when I walk out of here that I'm born again and I'm going to heaven. If that's your heart, I just want you to do something real simple. Every head's bowed. People, the Christians are praying for you. Just raise your hand and say, that's my heart tonight. I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. Is there anybody here at all? Don't leave here. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? The Lord loves you guys. You can know for sure that you're going to heaven. He's not a faraway God. Anybody else? Let's pray. And all, all of us pray together with those who've raised their hand. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight and I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to be my Savior, to forgive me for my sin, to make me a new creation. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. That he suffered and died in my place. That he took all of my sin upon himself. And that he rose from the dead. I believe by confessing my sin that I am a new creation in Christ. That I've been born again that I have the promise of heaven. Help me now to walk with you. Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord, amen. Let's stand. You guys come close to the worship song. You guys have another song for us? Come on up. Everybody let's stand and close the worship song. Or two.